Welcome to today's ILTA pre-recorded podcast interview entitled Doing IT Projects Right is Part 2 of the Project, Project Equation. I'm your moderator, Mark Manukian, IT Director of Kegler, Brown, Hill & Ritter in Columbus, Ohio. Part 1 podcast of Doing the Right Projects is available on the ILTA website and more specifically Podbean. Today, we are looking at the second half of the Project Equation, Doing Projects Right. I am joined today with TJ Johnson, Thought Leader, Parita Konevsky, Leader of Project Management Office at Evershed Sutherland, and Alan Reeson, Quality Assurance Manager at McGuire Woods. With that, um, uh, TJ, take it away. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Hi, everyone. Once a project has been selected and prioritized, it's time to start its journey to a successful outcome. Let's visualize a candy apple red Volkswagen Beetle driving down a winding road. There are signposts along the way. The first one is the project kickoff, and then come the requirements. And then we come to the software purchase development and configuration signpost. Following that, there's a testing signpost, then you deal with change and release, and finally the implementation, and hopefully the full adoption of the project. During that very first project kickoff, you're initiating the project. You're establishing the vision and deliverables and sharing the project objectives. You're identifying who will be staffing the project, developing the initial high-level project plan. You're defining how you will know if the project is successful, and you're assessing the risks for the project. We have a risk matrix that we use for this with 13 areas of risk to consider for each project. We can share a copy for you. The two main areas Parita and Alan are going to cover are for, for projects are project management and quality assurance. Where we see projects fail are with unclear requirements, lack of success criteria, minimal testing, and under adoption. Alan and Parita will both cover how you can make them successful by making sure that you are following the right um, processes for both of those areas. Parita, I'm handing it off to you to look at the project journey from a PM perspective and how to make those projects successful. Excellent. Thank you, TJ, and thank you to ILTA for having us on this second part of our podcast. So folks, like TJ said, um, project initiation is key. And then the elements that happen after the project has started or kicked off are more are even more important. What I am gonna to cover today is three areas. The project journey from a PM perspective, partnership with the change advisory board and QA training team, and highlights on adoption, training and communication. Starting with the project journey from a project management perspective, it is really, really important to have the basics for project management and um, established at the start of the project, no matter the methodology you is using. Agile waterfall hybrid does not matter. So what are these basics? Establishing a project charter is really important. Like TJ mentioned, right? Having, identifying who the folks are on your project and how are they gonna be involved? The charter includes that. What are the roles and responsibilities? The project manager is responsible for drafting this and works with the project sponsor to make it official. Then they also review it with the project core team. The project core team is established as part of the charter conversation. Who all need to be on that project? What is the size and scope of the project? How are they going to contribute to the project? So once the charter is drafted, the project sponsor has given the nod of 
this looks right. Review that with the project core team because that helps establish the scope. What is the uh, rules of engagement, roles and responsibilities, but what does success look like? Do not forget to include a QA team member or a training team member or both on this project core team. It is really, really important for your change management and I'll talk about it in a moment. Um, the project manager is also responsible for scheduling the regular cadence meetings. For mid to large size projects, we recommend that the project team should meet more than once a week, depending on your scope, depending on the phase. And also Agile recommends that you guys meet, uh, the team meets regularly and talks about the project progress, but blockers. If it's a small project, you might get away with meeting once a week or every other week, but you should not do anything less than that because that helps the team to stay aligned and focused. The next thing that TJ actually also mentioned was the project plan schedule. Uh, if you're using an agile methodology, you're gonna have a planner board or a Kanban board. If you're using a project management methodology that's waterfall hybrid, you're gonna have a project plan, a schedule or a planner um, that has a, a schedule in it. This helps the team to align on what is coming up, what has been done, what will be done in the future, right? Reviewing that on a regular basis, keeping that updated is very, very critical, essential for the success. Um, TJ talked about the 13 areas of risk. Well, you should have a RAID log. RAID log is risks, actions, issues, decisions. That RAID log helps to capture these items in a log that then the team can see, but also address as the project progresses. The other piece that is really important for a template is the rollout comms plan, what I call rollout communication plan. Who are the impacted users? How are they impacted by the change? When are they gonna be impacted? What kind of communication are you gonna send out to these impacted users? How is this change management gonna be successful, right? And so as part of your rollout communication plan, you're gonna create a change management plan covering all the items I just mentioned. Um, make sure that the change management plan is reviewed by the team. Make sure that everybody's engaged on it and provides their input, nod, or uh, addresses any open questions that their team may be impacted by, because that's what makes it successful. The second area that I'm gonna to touch about is the partnership with the Change Advisory Board, CAB, and the QA and training team. So at our firm, we have a Change Advisory Board that meets on a weekly basis. That weekly basis call has, has not been canceled so far because it allows everybody in IT to talk about, hey, we're gonna do this patching or we're gonna roll out this project or we're gonna do this pilot. It allows folks to be aligned on what the change is, how is it gonna be impacted? But if someone else is working on a different kind of project that has a dependency or could impact what you're trying to do in terms of change, it allows folks to talk about that in this forum. Having that is really, really important, like I mentioned. So something to consider if you don't have it, it doesn't need to be a full scale uh, meeting. We usually meet for 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes it's only a 10 minute quick call. There's an agenda and you go through it. Um, the other piece that's really important is the partnership with your training team or your quality assurance team or both teams. If your firm is, has the ability to have both these teams, it's really, really important to have all of these folks engaged on your project that has a big change impact. 
Um, we at the firm currently have a training team, not a dedicated QA team. The QA is done by the core project team, including the training team. So we partner with our training team. We always have a training lead assigned if there is any end user impacting kind of a project. And that person starts at the beginning of the project and ends at the end of the project with us. So they're part of the journey. The other piece that we do when we're rolling out a end user impacting project is we will have a pilot. The pilot could be comprised of a small group within IT, or it could be an IT pilot as well as a select group of attorneys, secretaries, or end users that will do the pilot. The pilot is not skipped because it allows you to validate what you've done, adjust the items based on issues identified, and then making your rollout more successful. The last piece that I'm going to talk about briefly is adoption. So making sure that you have a really good communication plan, but the training team is ready, ready to talk to the end users about the impact of the project, ready to talk to the end users about why is this change important. Um, some of that will be sent in the comms plan that you have, right? Any communication you send out to. But now is a good time for me to hand it over to Alan, who will speak to you more about our, the QA team, what they do, what's their magic. So over to you, Alan. Thank you. Thank you so much, Parita. Um, I like to think about this uh, as far as quality is concerned. I like to think about it holistically uh, for the project. So uh, a lot of testing teams will come in and they'll just do testing. So they will uh, run their test scripts, log their defects. We approach it a little bit differently and we uh, approach it from the very beginning of the project. So the first thing for us is making sure that for each project, we understand what the need is. We have a clear understanding of what the problem is we're trying to solve, or maybe what the opportunity is that we have in front of us. So do we know what's required to solve the problem? What are the requirements? Do we know what the outcome of an opportunity looks like? What are the requirements? Do we know what security or technical standards need to be met? You get my point, hopefully, that we're talking about requirements. So I think that all successful projects begin with a really firm understanding of what's required to produce a high-quality outcome. And, you know, the high-quality outcome is not always the best tool on the market or the shiniest object it's what is required for the project you're working on so if if you gold plate something you know that's not necessarily at the end of the day going to uh make your your project successful um, it's all about meeting the requirements so the level of the detail that you might need to understand the outcome or what success looks like is gonna be different for each organization and probably for each project. Well, definitely for each project. Um, so for example, if you're replacing an existing system, you probably have a good feel for what the requirements are, what the, what the requirements need to be based off of, what the functionality is that you're replacing. If it's maybe a new technology that you don't have in-house, Maybe there's more time needed for doing research on exactly what you're looking for for this new technology and the benefit that you're trying to receive. 
Um, and then if you're building something internally, if you have your own internal development uh, group, then that's going to require even more detail, um, enough detail to uh, for the developers to actually build it and uh, deliver exactly what is needed, nothing more, nothing less. Um, <clears throat> so regardless of the project, it's critical that you have a good set of requirements. Um, and in developing those requirements, um, I am a big stickler for perspectives. And I believe that uh, having considered all of the correct players in the game and getting their perspective is crucial, not only for projects or quality, but it's crucial in life um, that you understand the perspectives of those around you. So make sure that you're considering as many different perspectives, maybe C-level management uh, or C-level leadership management, um, IT subject matter experts, the users definitely, um, IT support, trainers. Um, I can't say enough good about trainers. If if I could if I could uh, if I had to build a new QA team, trainers is where I would start <clears throat> because they're amazing testers. Um, so once you've developed this list of requirements it's really important that you have them reviewed by the team and the stakeholders for the project to make sure that they are specific enough um, and that they're not amb ambiguous. And, um, you know, some of the things you might consider when you're doing the um, reviewing is, um, again, if you're doing it in-house, you probably need to be really specific on what needs to be built. Um, is each requirement written in clear, unambiguous language? Can each requirement be verified or validated through some sort of inspection, demonstration, or testing? Um, are there any duplicates? Make sure there's no du duplicates um, or conflicting requirements. Um, and are the requirements prioritized? So you probably have a lot of must-haves and you probably have some nice-to-haves and then you Sometimes you're going to have some won't haves just to be clear about what we do not want the system to do or to have. Um, so I think that's really important that you re review the requirements. Um, and that really forms the basis for what the testing team is going to do and what they're going to look at. Um, so how do we know we're headed in the right direction? And um, how do we know that we've accomplished what we set out to do? So I think from the very beginning of the project, inspecting the planning documents starting on day one and continually improving them and getting more perspective on them is the first place to start. Um, peer reviews of planning documents, team reviews, stakeholder reviews. Um, and the next step we go to uh, demonstrating completed work. So once you start building something, once you start completing deliverables for the project, having those demonstrated um, sometimes to specific people, but uh, often demonstrated to the team in status meetings, uh, demonstrate the work completed. And that's important because, you know, we're humans and we are fallible. And uh, some people, sometimes people don't understand 
the need or maybe they missed misconstrued what was requested. So it gives you a chance to find those issues early. And QA is all about finding the issues as early as possible. Um, it costs a lot less to do that than it does to find them near the end of the project. And then finally, after you know demonstration, and these things run in parallel, uh, the inspection demonstration and the testing. So we want to test that the system is functioning as expected or that whatever whatever we're being delivered, you know, it's uh, projects come in all shapes, forms, and sizes. <clears throat> but um, when we're testing the functionality, you know, what are the expectations? Well, those are our requirements. So that in my team, uh, that's the basis for our test cases. And, you know, we need to document how are we going to verify or validate that the functionality is there or that the requirement has been satisfied. Those are our tests. And then, <clears throat> you know, during that process of developing your test and thinking about how you're going to test the system or the, the application, um, you need to consider, is there any test data that you need to think about and start um, maybe gathering? Um, so when you're ready to start your testing, you have that data available. A lot of times that comes from the production system and it may need to be scrubbed to remove any client specific or sensitive data. Um, and then you're gonna follow the steps that you documented, which are your test cases, and you're going to record any failure scenarios, errors, unexpected outcomes, unintuitive interfaces, or just weirdness. Um, and those are your defects or your issues. A lot of developers don't, do not like the word defects. So I refer to them as issues. Um, so you will develop that list of issues and you will communicate those to the project team and you will get, it's important to get priority on those. So um, we usually start meeting, uh, depending on the project, we, we meet regularly once we start developing a list of defects or issues, sorry. Um, and we we meet with our support team most on most projects because they're the ones that can identify, you know, where uh, or how painful this issue really is. So we will start meeting with them, talk to them about uh, the, the severity of it, and they will prioritize, give us the prioritize. And then we will manage that list, retest anything that's set to fixed once it, the developers fixed it or the vendor, and um, then hopefully have a successful outcome. I wanted to touch real quick on, you know, there's different sizes of firms and not everybody has a QA team. So there's some alternative roles, and this isn't just QA, but, you know, for example, uh, for a smaller entity, if you don't have project managers, you know, a manager or a subject matter expert, a contractor or a vendor can often be a good alternative. Um, if you don't have a business analyst, then sometimes a subject matter expert, a trainer or a contractor can be a good uh, alternative, especially a trainer. Um, awesome alternative for a BA. 
and uh, QA team. If you don't have a QA team or testers, trainers, trainers, trainers are your best bet. Um, often you can um, maybe hire contractors to do that work or a vendor to assist your team. Um, but that is um, that is what I wanted to cover in a nutshell. So I'm going to pass it back off to Mark. Yes, thank you, Alan. I can't tell you guys how much all of this resonates with me. I feel like I'm your uh, target audience. And so it's it's my privilege and pleasure to be the moderator, even if I'm the only one that ever watches these podcasts. Uh, the um, one of the some of the recurring themes uh, that apply, which I want to uh, I want to draw a little emphasis to our uh, testing, 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 testing. Um, in my own experience, you know, we've been uh, working through some accounting upgrades. Uh, I attended the Adirant Momentum Conference earlier this year. They emphasized testing, and even then, it, it, they didn't emphasize it enough. Um, you know, many, many employees do things by, the, by a rote process, and they need to test that process from beginning to end. So I really, really appreciated your comments regarding uh testing and and then again the um you know i'm i'm a 65 uh, attorney firm so i'm not of the of the scale of you allen at mcguire woods or you perita at Eversed sutherland and so we have to divvy up those responsibilities and um you know we have a we have a trainer we have an outsourced trainer and i i really appreciate all of those ideas and suggestions uh, delegate some of those responsibilities to trainers, delegate some of those responsibilities to subject matter experts. And, and all of that is, uh, it, I just can't tell you how helpful it is to somebody, to somebody like me. It gives me a structure and a way to think about this. Uh, in my role as uh, an IT director, the one important piece that has changed when we talk about project management is it is adoption. In the past, we would roll out a new document management system or a new, I don't know, um, uh, litigation review system. And we'd, we'd want people to use these systems, but it wasn't necessarily enforced. And, you know, we, we still might have some employees who, for example, in the example of a document man management system, might save documents in some personal space outside of the document management system. Uh, we live in a world now where uh, compliance is an issue. So whether it's security, privacy, requirements by the liability carrier, some other third party, I mean, if you accept credit cards, you have to comply with PCI DS, uh, DSS. Uh, I, I think it just went down, I mean, clients, liability carrier, all, all of these people, they, they now have um, their, their fingers in your inner workings and, and policies and procedures. And in those circumstances, 90, 98% adoption is no longer enough. When they ask you, do your employees save documents into the document management system? They mean all, do all of your employees save all documents in the document management system? And so um, on the one hand, that sets a very high bar for me, the IT director, but on the other hand, um, I hopefully, uh, I've got firm policies backing me up, but that does mean that uh, those squeaky wheels who don't want to do it are going to come back to me and ask a lot more questions. And it goes, it also goes to the, uh, one of the principles of, of user friendliness, that 
if there's an opportunity to make a mistake for an employee, an end user to make a mistake with a particular product, they will do it. And so that goes back to quality control. We have to build systems that that um, not only perform the function, but prevent uh, employees from making mistakes and, um, and and losing data or more doing something doing something else. So uh, I've said enough. I could say a lot more. I really enjoyed this. Uh, thank you, Alan, Farida, and TJ. Thank you. I appreciate your time. And uh, I hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you.